So really a warm welcome to everyone, wherever you are. And uh, so welcome to this uh, day long of uh, meditation with me and organized by Gaia House Online. Since unfortunately, with the situation, nobody at the moment uh, can really stay at Gaia House, which is really unfortunate. But at least we can share with each other, we can connect with each other together online. So I think this is wonderful to be able to spend a day in quiet, in a friendly and safe atmosphere. Okay, so the subject of this uh, weekend, of this day, is something I have been thinking about, actually. Because uh, often you have this term in uh, Buddhism, uh, you hear about emptiness, you hear about no self or non-self or not self. And then this could give you the impression that actually the practice is about retreating, but not retreating in a beneficial way, I would say, but retreating from others, retreating from the world or being above it all. And on the contrary, what I would say is that the practice of meditation, the practice of the Dharma, is that actually is to dissolve our self-centeredness. And so if we dissolve, so what becomes more empty is not ourself in a way, but one could say it's grasping and identifying with the self, but also what I would say, I mean, that we grasp or identify with the self might not be so problematic. If this did not lead us to become self-centered, this is what is more problematic in a way, because we can have all kinds of idea, but personally, that's really what the Buddha was interested in. You know, like in the Kalama Sutta, when the villagers ask him, you know, what is the best way to practice? And he said, well, the best way to practice is to check. If you practice this, is this going to help you to be more wise, to be more compassionate, to be happier, to help to make other people happier, more ethical? So the way what interested the Buddha was possibly not so much metaphysics as, so we're not talking about an emptiness, a kind of like a metaphysical emptiness. But maybe what we're talking about is emptying, that actually the practice is about emptying. And you could say emptying of the obstacle that enable us to relate in a wise and compassionate way. So emptying, so that's what I want to do this morning. Is So this morning we'll have like about 30 minute talk, then there will be guided meditation, then we'll have a discussion, then there will be free walking meditation, and there will be some sitting meditation guided by uh, Tony. And then 12, we'll have a discussion, then we'll have a break, 
and again, something a little similar in the afternoon. So this morning, first I'd like to talk about emptying. What does it mean to empty? And then we could look at the symbols of awakening. One thing, I, I mean, in Korea, I was a nun for 10 years in Korea. And what's wonderful about Korea, if I may say so for myself, that's my little conditioning, is at that time, they had the shortest ceremony, which personally I was very happy with. But one thing they always did, that we always did in whatever ceremony we were doing, before we even started the ceremony, we would offer some clean water. We would put it in a bowl. We would light a candle and we would light some incense. And the reason for that was actually because those were symbols of awakening. And so the incense it's actually a symbol of selflessness because as it disappears, it gives fragrance to everybody. But also what is very interesting with the incense is that as it disappears, it gives fragrance to everybody equally. It doesn't say, oh, those one, I don't, don't like them, so I'm not going to go there. All those one, I like them more. I'm going to go more there. Not at all. There is, is that I think is very important in terms of awakening. That awakening is not going to make us feel superior at all. On the contrary, awakening is going to make us more humble, but also we enable us to treat everyone equally. And this is really hard. This is really hard to treat everyone equally. And then the second symbol of awakening is a candle. So again, the candle is a symbol of selflessness because as it disappears, it's going to give light. But also what is interesting with the candle, once we have lit it, is that it's illuminating for others and it's illuminated for itself. So before you light the candle, it's opaque. As soon as you lit it, not only does it give light for people outside of it, but itself, it's become illuminated. And so in a way, seeing that awakening is in a way for our self-centeredness to disappear so we can become more clear about ourselves, but that also we can again share equally our light, our brightness, our wisdom with everybody else. And then there is a water. The water is a symbol of flexibility. Because again, it will adapt to whatever receptors you put it in. Also, what is interesting with the water is that it does not flow up. Actually, it flows down. 
again, a symbol of humility, a symbol of, in a way, creatively engaging with life. We're not trying to become special. We're trying to become ordinary, you could say, in our special way. When I was young, from a young age, I wanted to save the world. And then I was thinking, you know, I'll try to become president of the Republic, or maybe I'll try to become like an MP. And then I thought, well, maybe this is a bit too hard. Maybe I'll become a journalist. And then finally, I did not do any of those things. But many years ago, when I was actually working at the temp in England, I was working in the post office in the back room. And then one of the fellow I was working with became so exasperated with me. And he said, oh, you, you always want to be special. And took, it took me a long time to, this, to see this thing in me, which wanted to be special, <laughs> which wanted to be kind of specially important. That was so interesting. And then, I mean, I became a nun in Korea. And then I really, like, I think I was the top, the top, top, top of my specialness. Because I was the one in 60 million French people as a Korean son Buddhist nun. And I was one among 60 million Korean people as the only one French Buddhist nun. So I was one among 120 million. I mean, you know, this is special. And then I stopped being a nun. And then I went to live in a little village. And then it felt strange. It felt really strange. And I thought, what's strange? Why do I feel strange? And I realized I felt strange because nobody noticed me whatsoever. I was wearing ordinary clothes. I had ordinary hair. And, and I truly was not special to anybody. And it was so interesting to realize, oh, I am ordinary and it's okay. I don't have to be special. So this is interesting. And to me, the water is a, simple, a symbol of that. In a way, the water of life, which is so precious, and at the same time, which is so ordinary and which flows down and also which is so flexible. So selflessness doesn't mean that the self doesn't exist. Doesn't mean that we do not exist. Doesn't mean that we only think of others. This is often kind of the idea we have if we talk of being selfless. It means we always forget about ourselves. But not at all. It just means that we become less self-centered. Because I think this is really ethically one of the difficulties is that the more self-centered we are, in a way, the more egoist we're going to be, the more we're going to think about ourselves, the more we're going to think about our own self-interest. And so here is kind of saying that the practice of meditation is really not to make us disappear, not to make us become an automaton, but actually to become our ordinary 
organism in its own special way because each of us have special condition due to the family we're born in, the body we're born in, the biology, the experience we have. So at one level, yeah, we are different in some way because our conditions are different. And at the same time, we have so many characteristics which are very similar. We are alive. We want to be happy. We want to be safe. We don't want to suffer. And others are the same, are just the same as us. And in a way, selflessness is saying others are as important as you. Not more important than you, but as important as you. But this is difficult to live from that angle because in a way we are a little stuck within ourselves. And I would say the meditation is really to enable us to actually dissolve this fixation, dissolve the repetition, dissolve the bias, so that we can actually become more open to others, to the world, also more open to our effect on others, our effect on the world. And I think this is in a way what is so interesting about the idea of the Buddha, about not-self, about emptiness. So emptiness doesn't mean that there is an empty hole somewhere, a mystical empty hole, which is going to solve all our difficulty. But it just means that things are conditioned. That's all. And so in a way we could see the practice of the, the practice of the Dharma as actually an exploration of conditionality. And so if we, for example, look at ourselves, we are this organism living within an environment. And so when the Buddha says, which the better translation would be not self, anatta, A-N-T-T-A, ah. so anatta, which is often translated as no self or non-self. And actually it would be more accurate to say not self. And this could be like a shortcut to say that we cannot reduce ourselves or others, but I'll talk more about others this afternoon. But we cannot reduce ourselves to any one of the conditions that forms us. Because in a way, what we're doing when we meditate, when we practice the Dharma, is that we're trying to look at conditions. And the first thing to look in terms of condition is ourselves. We are this flow of con inner conditions meeting outer conditions. So that's what the Buddha is saying. 
He's not saying I don't exist. He's not even saying there is no self. Because, no, no, he said, you know, you must cultivate the self like a carpenter, kind of make uh, a wooden object. So he talks about cultivating the self. So in a way, what interests the Buddha is not scientifically or metaphysically, is there a self or not? And how can you find it? But the Buddha is more interested in the fact that, yeah, we are like a process. Well, we have a processual self. So we have a con we are this organism which is conditional and which does not exist separately from the condition that forms it. And then what he's interested in, and that's where in a way ethics comes in, is what are the conditions, because the Dharma is really an ethical path. What the Buddha is really interested in is, in a way, how can we cause no harm or the least harm we can do? How can we have no ill will or the least we can do? How can we have no greed or the least we can do, in a way? So basically, that's what interesting so that in a way the dharma i would say is an ethical project of relationship how do we relate to ourselves how do we relate to others and then what is interesting there is to kind of in a way the meditation is about exploring conditions seeing conditions And so I think at that level, we have to be very careful to think of meditation. Of course, if we are meditating for some time, of course, meditation can help us. And that's why very likely many of you join us is to spend a day where I can cultivate calmness. I can cultivate brightness. And of course, meditation is going to help us to develop calmness and brightness, definitively. But also at the same time, and that's what's so beautiful about it, at the same time, it's going to help us to see conditions. And it's going to help us to see what are the conditions that actually orient me toward wisdom, toward compassion. What are the conditions that are going to orient me toward anger, toward aggression, toward taking, toward shouting or whatever it might be? And so in a way, it's kind of, what is it that's going to help me to go one way or to go the other? And as we can notice, I mean, we generally, I presume, have good intention. Uh, we want to be, you know, friendly, warm, compassionate, harmonious, etc., etc. Yesterday, you could say, was a difficult, funny day, a funny day in the bachelor family. Steven's, Steven's computer stopped working. And we had the fiber installed 
And I also have to take care a little bit of my mother who hurt her head. And there was digging the road outside our house. And all this was happening at the same time. So we were a little like, you know, and installing fiber, actually the conditions of fiber are not like, you know, you hear about fiber and you think, wow, fiber, fiber, you know, 40 megahertz, 64 megahertz. You think, wow, I want this. But then when you see them doing it, when it takes them four hours and it's so tricky and they have to do it two or three times because it's not working, you realize like our organism, it's more complicated and complex than it looks. So yesterday afternoon, at some moment, Stephen and I were like, ooh, and then we looked at each other and then decided do we want to be stressed and upset at each other <laughs> or not? And we thought, maybe not, maybe not. You know, we love each other. And the upsetness was about the stress, not about anything else. So in a way, it was a decision. Do we kind of, because we stress, do we get upset? Or do we acknowledge we stress and this upset us? And we tried to find a way to kind of, you know, take it easier. So it's kind of, that's what happened. You know, sometimes we have this very calm time and you think, wow, I am a wonderful Buddhist. <laughs> and then sometimes you have like stressful circumstances. And to me, this is as interesting when I'm calm and really kind of equanimous. And when suddenly I become kind of, you know, a little stress and upset, and how do I deal with it? How do I creatively engage with it? How can we not fix the self? And then later this afternoon, I'll talk how we fix others. So in a way, to really see the meditation as two things. One, which is to dissolve the stickiness, dissolve the obstacle to our wisdom, to our compassion, to an ethical attitude. And at the same time, an exploration of how does it feel to be calm? How does it feel to be clear? How does it feel to be upset, to be planning, to be ruminating, to feel strong emotional disturbance? How does it feel? And how can I not reduce myself to that? Because that's what the not-self is about. To not reducing ourselves to a thought, to not reduce ourselves to an emotion, to not reduce ourselves to a sensation, to a difficulty. It doesn't mean that they don't exist. They exist, and that's what, in a way, they disturb us. But if we reduce ourselves to them, we're going to really amplify them. And it will be very difficult to creatively engage. So we're seeing the practice of meditation as both, in a way, 
emptying in terms of coming back again and again to the anchor, the breath, the body, the sound, or a question, or just sitting. And at the same time, bringing the brightness of the mind to the condition. Appreciating if the conditions are very calm and quiet and harmonious. And we're just enjoying that. And if the conditions are not, just noticing how, what's going on. What is it I'm thinking? What is it I'm feeling? What is it I'm sensing? And by bringing this friendly mindfulness to what's going on, can we help ourselves to not grasp at it and define ourselves through it and fixate on it? Because I think in a way, in terms of ethics, often what will happen is our survival mechanism is to protect us. So in a way, our survival mechanism is to protect this organism. And so can we still protect this organism, but in such a way that it's not harmful to ourselves and harmful to others? And I think that's what meditation helps us to do. By coming back again and again to the anchor, bringing some groundedness, some calmness, And by really looking deeply, vipassana, looking deeply in the experience, becoming deeply aware of conditions, but in a way which we're not grabbed by them or we don't grab at them, but we can, oh, that is what's going on. So, you know, one could say a friendly acceptance a friendly, creative acceptance of what's going on. And at the same time, this friendly coming back to bring some ground and so noticing in terms of the conditions that it be thought, sensation, emotion, sound. I mean, yesterday, you, I mean, you should have seen the sound. What was going on was amazing. The sound of digging the road and compacting and the, the, the floorboard were kind of trembling and the wall were shaking. So you not only had the sound, you had the sensation. That was interesting. Just to be with that, creatively engaging with it, not being overwhelmed or defined by it. So really, this is what we try to do with the meditation. So now we're going to have, uh, that's what I wanted to say for now. And so what I would suggest is that we stand for a minute or two to stretch, and then we'll do some meditation. And for the meditation, really choose a posture that suits you. You can sit on a chair on the floor, lie on a bed or stand up, whatever suits you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.